Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to the Balanced Black Girl Podcast. We're putting black girl magic in motion. This show is dedicated to reinventing wellness for women of color. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. All right, welcome back to the Balanced Black Girl podcast. I am here today with a very special guest, Miss Chrissy King, who I am so excited to have on the show today. Welcome on, Chrissy. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I when I came up with the idea for the show, literally the first person who I thought of for a guest, I was like, I have to reach out to Chrissy because I am dying to talk to her. Ah, <laughs> uh, thank you. That makes me feel very special. I'm honored to I'm honored to be on. So you are special. Awesome. So do you want to <laughs> tell our audience just a little bit about you? Sure. Um, so yeah, my name is Chrissy King. I'm currently living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, I'm a strength coach. I work primarily with uh, my clients on strength goals, fat loss, a little bit of everything. Um, I'm also a writer. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, I call myself a self-proclaimed truth teller. Um, And I just talk about a lot of things that I see happening in the industry, um, in the fitness industry that a lot of people aren't talking about um, that I think are very important. So it's a big part of my work is talking about intersectional feminism um, and issues of diversity and inclusion in the fitness space which I love. And that is exactly what we're all about here, which is why I was so excited to talk to you. Um, So I would love to cover a couple of different topics with you. I want to start with fitness because mainly to keep myself and my questions on track. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And we can go topic by topic. Okay. Um, And so I would love to hear a little bit more about how you got into fitness, how you got into strength training, how you got into powerlifting. I think it is such a powerful thing that I would love to see more women doing, especially more women of color doing, and I would love to hear how you got into it. Yes, and I would love to see more women of color doing it too, and women in general, period, because powerlifting is such um, an empowering thing, in my opinion. Um, So my journey to strength and fitness was, I think, started a lot like a lot of people. I did not have any interest in strength. Um, I really joined the gym for the first time in my adult life because I wanted to lose weight and because my sister had joined the gym, and I was actually um, pretty like taken aback that she joined the gym because I was like, what do you mean? We don't work out. Why are you joining the gym? And she's like, I just want to get in shape. But I was like, well, if you're going to join the gym, I'm going to join. So that's literally what prompted me to start. And she got a personal trainer, so I'm like, well, I'm getting a trainer. <laughs> and I remember my first um, session with my personal trainer was 30 minutes. And before I started the session, my trainer was like wanting to talk about what my goals were, like, you know, all that stuff. And I was like, I have only one thing on my agenda. I would like to be skinny. Like, let's work on that. That's it. That's the only thing I want. Every woman's manifesto when they start working. (laughs) Right? It is. (laughs) That's what everybody wants. And so she's like, okay, cool. So she's like, okay, well, we're going to go over to this weight section and pick up. I'm like, what? I was like, pause, pause, pause. I was like, no, I think, like, I said I wanted to be skinny. So, like, I don't need to, like, lift any weights. That's not, I think you can understand. And she's like, no, trust me on this. Like, strength training is great. It's going to help you reach your goals. And I was like really nervous about it. So I was just like, that's not, like, I don't want any muscles. Like, I think she doesn't know what she's doing. But then I was like, well, you hired her. So you obviously think she has some knowledge. So anyways, I trusted her. My first 30 minute session, I literally thought, like I wasn't going to make it through. Like I remember like needing a sugar packet. Like I, my, I felt like my, because I, like I was shaking, like it was, and she didn't like 
in her defense, she didn't have me do anything like out of reason. It's just like I had never done any of those things. Um, so it was just really hard. But anyways, I kept going back. And then little by little, I started like noticing changes in my ability to do things. And I was like, wow, this is like kind of cool. Like I couldn't do like any lunges last week and now I can do a few in a row and I don't feel like I'm going to die. Like this is awesome. Um, and so shortly, uh, like after just keep continuing to go, I started to really like the process. And I was like, this is pretty cool. Um, there were a series of events. She ended up training at a different gym. I joined her there and um, it was a powerlifting, like a small strength and conditioning powerlifting gym. And it was eye-opening for me because I had never even seen people really powerlifting. I definitely had never seen women doing it. And so I was just like, wow, that's like kind of cool. Um, but my narrative had always been like my entire life that I just wasn't a strong person. I was just physically weak. Mm. Um, and that was like an ongoing joke in my family. Even they always like, Oh, you're weakling. Like, and so I never thought of it as a bad thing. I just thought like, Oh, I'm just not strong. So some people are, some people aren't. So that's probably not for me, but I kept like watching. And so eventually uh, the guy who owned the gym, he still owns the gym. Was, uh, his name is Brett Summers. He was like, Hey, you should try this out. And I was like, uh, I don't know, but if you say so. And so he actually like walked me through powerlifting. He taught me all the lifts. And surprisingly, I was actually like technique wise really good at, at like I caught on really fast. Yeah. Um, and then after time, like a, a pretty short amount of time, actually, like I realized I actually was pretty strong. Like it was pretty, it was pretty amazing actually. Um, and then I was just like hooked. I was like, this is the best thing ever. And I think the, the coolest part for me was like, it really changed. It helped me realize that like the narrative that I had about being weak was just like something I'd been telling myself and yeah. there was no validity into that, in that, yeah. um, and that strength is a skill, just like any other skill. Um, and so since then I've just been like hooked on powerlifting. It's one of my favorite things. It's such an empowering part of my life. Um, and has really like, like the energy and the strength that I've gained and the stories and lessons I've learned from powerlifting has really transformed, transferred into like every area of my life, which is why I'm so passionate about like all women trying powerlifting at some For point. Sure. Cause I just think it teaches us so much about life. Absolutely. And what I love about what you just shared is how it's not only the physical transformation. There's a huge right. mental transformation of rewriting a whole narrative that you believed your whole life about strength. Yes, absolutely. And I think, and also that was such an important part of my journey into strength and powerlifting because then I realized like, okay, if that narrative I was telling myself about strength, my physical strength wasn't true, like what other narratives have I been telling myself in other areas of my life that aren't true? And that really helped me just step into my power in like all areas of my life. Oh, yes. Preach. I'm everything <laughs> that you're saying. I'm just like, yes, I want every woman everywhere to hear this and to embody this exact same thing. Yeah, it's amazing. And that's why I'm just, I just love strength. And, you know, I, I also realize that like powerlifting isn't for everybody, but um, I do think that you can learn so many lessons through strength training, whatever form you try or whatever you like, whatever you enjoy. There's just so much to be learned from that. Absolutely. The mental strength that comes from building physical strength is yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Something else that I really love about you and your content um, is that you encourage women to take up space, yes. which is my favorite, just my favorite line ever. I would love to hear a little bit more about um, what taking up space means to you, how you came to not only want to take up space yourself, but want to encourage others to take up space and why you think it's important that we all take up more space. Yes. I love talking about taking up space. Um, <laughs> so for me, like one of the things I realized is that, okay, so my first time ever going on like a crash diet when I was, I was like 16 or 17, I was in high school and I went on this crash diet because a boy that I went to school with commented on my weight. Um, and it was like at a difficult point in my life. My parents had just like gone through a separation and I was like comforting with food and just like, you know, in a short amount of time, I gained a noticeable amount of weight. And I don't think it really bothered me though until he pointed it out. And I was like so embarrassed about it. So I remember like, okay, I'm going to go on a diet and like 16 year olds, most 16 year olds, I don't know anything about like losing weight. Right. So mm -hmm. I only knew my mom had a friend who had just like lost a lot of weight. And I remember her talking to my mom about doing the Atkins diet. So I was like, well, I, 
that's what I'm going to do. So I literally just like drove myself to the bookstore and purchased a book about like what the Atkins diet was. And then I like followed it to a T and I lost a lot of weight. Um, so I was doing that and doing like a lot of cardio and I didn't have a gym membership even. So I would just like walk for like five, six, seven, eight miles a day, like just always walking like all the time, which is walking is great. But I mean, it was just, a little, I was doing a little bit excessive, right? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Anyways, so, um, but anyways, what happened is I went like, after I started losing weight, all of my classmates were like, oh my God, you look so great. Like, mm. tell me how you lost weight. And I was like, oh, so like when you're smaller and you take a less space in the world, like people, that's like what you need to do. Cause like, this is a good thing because of the response I got from people. And so like from then on, I like was always on a diet or always like doing some crash diet to lose weight. Because again, I wasn't doing it in a sustainable way. So I lost this weight that I went to college and like, it's really hard to do that <laughs> diet in the dorm. So I gained it back. Right. And so it was just like always this yo-yo thing for like so many years, but I was always so focused on like shrinking my body and very much focused on along with like the idea that I needed to be smaller, the idea that like I needed people to like me. It was really important to me that people like the person I am. And I was a bit of a perfectionist. I was a lot of a perfectionist. So I spent so many time, so much of my life just shrinking my body, shrinking my voice, shrinking my aspirations. Um, and as a black woman, there's always like this narrative about like the angry black woman. Right. Yeah. And so I very much was like, well, I don't want to ever come off like that. Cause I'm not an angry black woman. So I was like very shy to share my opinions about anything or to talk about issues of race or politics or anything like that for that sole purpose of like, I need to be likable in the world. And that's what my purpose is. So um, I feel like it was just like in the last two years of my life that I started realizing that like while I had just owned that narrative of I needed to shrink my body to fit into society, there was still a part of me that was shrinking other areas of my life. Um, I was still not showing up authentically online because I was really worried about what people were going to say, or I was scared to mix fitness and talks about like intersectional feminism or race because I didn't want people to be like, I don't want to follow her because she's always talking about that stuff. Um, and so it was like, I remember the day because I was having this internal conflict all the time because I was like posting about fitness stuff, but, and keeping it very like apolitical and just very clean and neutral and not talking about any other issues because I thought that's what I should do. But then offline, I was having all these conversations that were the opposite with my friends and family. And I just felt completely like torn. And I got to the point where I was just like, I can't do this anymore because I'm being someone I'm not online because I'm trying to impress people that I don't know. <laughs> right. Cause I don't actually know most of the people that are on Instagram. Right. <laughs> and, and I think there's just this part of like, I should just be who I am. Like, why am I not doing that? And so I remember the day that I posted the first blog that like scared the shit out of me. Um, it was the title of the blog is, um, is fitness only for thin white women. And I was, I it was in it. Yeah. And so I talked about the lack of diversity and inclusivity in the fitness industry. And it scared me so bad to post this, you guys, that I actually was like, you know what? I have to go on this work trip. So I'm going to be away from the internet for a while. So I'm going to post it. And then I won't, no. and I'm just going to run away <laughs> because I can't be online. And so I did that. And I was like, it was so nerve wracking for me. But what happened is when I came back, like I had all these positive responses. I had DMs from people like, oh my God, thank you for writing this. And I realized like all the things I had been so scared about weren't that scared. It was like ripping a bandaid off. It was like, oh, this is okay. Mm -hmm. um, and so since then, I have just been encouraging partially for myself, but also for other women that we all have stories that we can tell and that people will benefit from and that people need to hear, like people need to hear your story. Um, and so I am just like, you know what, like we should be taking as women, we should be taking up space in all of our lives. If that's in the corporate arena, because I used to work in the corporate space. Right. And there's all that comes with being a woman in a, in a, like a corporate industry in a management role um, that, comes with that dynamic as well. And so it's just like, you know what? No, we should take up space in all areas wise because we are valuable. We have so much to offer to every arena in our lives and we deserve to be here as much as anybody else. Um, and we don't have to fall into this narrative of like societal narratives about like what women are supposed to be or should be. Um, and we can like say, forget all of that. Like we're going to show up however we want to show up. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. And I think, I mean, just imagine the types of change that we could drive if everyone was truly just taking up space, being who they are, standing in their power and not feeling like they need to shrink down 
physically, mentally, emotionally, you know? Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. And so, um, yeah, and I know how much, and I will also say this, like that once I actually started showing up authentically in all areas of my life, it was so liberating. Like I felt such freedom. I felt like aligned with my values and like, this is who I'm supposed to be. And what is so cool about it too, is like once I started showing up that way, then like people started showing up that I wanted to show up anyways. Right. And it's like, when we show people who we really are, the right people show up. And for the people who don't like what I talk about and decide like they don't want to follow, they want to unsubscribe, all that stuff. It's like, cool. Cause we weren't for each other. So like we're doing each other a favor. And so when we show up authentically with people in our lives, then we know what we're showing up for. And that's okay if we aren't friends or if we don't get along or if we're not for each other, that's totally cool. Unless we know it up front now. Exactly. Yeah. Oh man. I think understanding that it's okay if not everybody likes you is probably the most refreshing part of growing up. And (laughs) I'm learning finally. (laughs) Yeah. It's a hard lesson to learn though. Right. I think, you know, I'm, I always think too, like, why did it take me till I was like 30 to figure that out or 29, 28, whatever, but it doesn't matter. Like it's a lesson that we all need to learn. And sometimes it takes more than other, at least I know now. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of going back to fitness a little bit, I have had a lot of experiences in my own fitness journey where I maybe go to certain fitness events or I'm in fitness spaces, taking classes, fitness studios, and I look around and I am the only woman of color there. I would love to hear if you've had any experiences with that, uh, especially maybe from the powerlifting world, because that is a world that I'm not as familiar with, um, and kind of how that made you feel and why you think that happens. Yeah. So I have had very much similar experiences as you. I think going to like fitness conferences and participating in powerlifting for sure. Um, I think it's changing in the powerlifting world a little, but I do specifically remember like my first three meets, I was like the only person of color participating in the meet. Um, and so I do think it happens a lot in a lot of fitness spaces. Um, I think in terms of powerlifting, I think it's just interesting because the sport of powerlifting is growing for women as a whole tremendously. Like, I, again, my first meet, I think there was only like nine women competing in the entire meet. And now there's like so many women at meets. So I think part of it is just like the sport is growing for women. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of like, actual events and conferences and why there's not more people of color there. I think there's a few things going on. Um, For one, I think there's this whole idea of like diversity and inclusivity and part of inclusivity specifically is that like when you are planning events or when you are a running a business, a fitness related business that you have representation, not just in the speaker lineup, but in the planning committee and the people that work for your, your company. Um, and I think a lot of people lack that. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have people of color or different backgrounds and your planning committees are working for you, then you just miss very important things. Right. So it's really easy to put together a program or something with like marketing materials, for example, that feature all white women in the marketing materials. So as a woman of color, like why would you be drawn to that event if you don't see yourself represented anywhere in that, even if, and I think sometimes it's very unintentional. So I think it takes people planning these events to like really deep dive into like what diversity means, what inclusivity means and how as an organization they need to do better. Um, but it's just not appealing for most women of color to go to events where they like, Oh, no one like there that looks like me is going to be there. So why would I want to go to that? And I think that a lot of times to the programming lacks, um, the cultural context for different people. Um, so especially like when we talk about nutrition, for example, right. Or like healthy eating, um, so much of like nutrition talk around healthy eating really doesn't take into account people's cultural preferences. Um, and so Steph Godreau actually was just talked a little bit about this in her latest podcast, but for example, if you're a fitness practitioner and you're saying like, Oh, we shouldn't eat rice because that's not healthy. This is the same example she used. Like if you're a person from Asian background, like that, that probably is not advice that is going to work well for you. And the same thing, I think we miss in the black community a lot when we talk about like uh, healthy eating is that we don't um, consider the cultural foods that, that we eat. Like, I don't know. I like some soul food just as much as most white people do, right? That's stereotypical, but it's true though, right? <laughs> and so I think that like a lot of the programming just lacks um, a integration of all different ethnicities and backgrounds. And so it, it doesn't, it, you're not reaching people who would be interested in what you're talking about. Um, and then I think the third thing I would say is that 
I think with a lot of fitness events, you see uh, a lot of the same people at the events or, pre- or present presenting at the events. Um, and I think it's a lot about like people reach out to people in their network, right? And so as a fitness professional, if you don't have any, anybody in your network that doesn't look like you, then that's the problem, right? And so I think that's where you first start is saying, I need to broaden my network to include people who don't look like me so that I can get different perspectives so that my approach to fitness is intersectional. Um, and so that I have other resources to call on who don't look just like me. Um, and so that takes intentional work and effort though on the part of people organizing events and running businesses. Absolutely. And I think you made a really good point when you said, you know, I think when this happens, people don't even know to think about stuff like that. It's not that they're even being intentional or malicious, not considering these points of view, but it just doesn't even occur to them that how important that is. Exactly. Like it just doesn't occur until then maybe they get some feedback about like, oh, why was there no people of like color or women or whatever included in the lineup? And then they're like, oh, like, cause it never, it never came across their mind as even like a problem. So I agree with you hundred percent. It's an awareness issue for some people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So another topic that I've been thinking a lot about, um, I recently was listening to the food heaven podcast and they had a psychologist on talking about the superwoman schema. So that is the idea that impacts black women specifically, uh, where we are expected to be everything for everyone. And we are seeing a lot of very unique health issues happening with black women specifically as a result of the stress and anxiety and pressure of having to be everything for everyone where that basic self-care just it can't even be on the radar because black women are so busy taking care of everyone else. Um, I would love to hear if you've had any experiences with that and how you have managed it. Yes. So it's really interesting. I have, I had a lot of experience with this and a lot recently I feel like. And so interestingly, I started writing a blog about uh, the importance of self-care for women of color. It's not finished yet. It's one of my many, many works in progress, but um, I wrote it. And I started writing it specifically because of that narrative of like having to do it all, right? Or having to have it all together. And I think for a lot of black women, I can't speak for all black women, I can speak for myself. Um, I think sometimes because we feel that like the world is less forgiving for us, like there's less grace for us to make mistakes. There's less room for us to not perform perfectly. At least that's the way that we feel and we've internalized the world. So there's definitely this desire to like, you always have to be doing something. You need to be doing more. You need to get it right. You need to get it perfect because there's just not space for mistakes or mess ups. And so it becomes for me anyways, it became this thing where like I was very hard on myself and I talk to my clients a lot about showing themselves compassion, but I don't show myself that same compassion. Um, and then I think the other part of this is too, especially with the work that I do talking a lot about, um, intersectional feminism, race, all that stuff. Like it elicits, I love sharing my work with the world and I'm so grateful I had the opportunity to do that, but it also elicits a lot of, um, conversations from other people that want to discuss the things I write about, which is awesome. I love having that opportunity to talk to people, but there's a lot of emotional labor that goes into that too. So I found myself like consistently drained um, from all the things. And that's just like business. Then you have like your regular life too, right? Mm -hmm. And your family obligations. And for so many black women, you feel like so many people rely on you for so much. Um, And so I was just consistently like feeling burned out. And then also feeling like, no, but you don't get to be burned out. So like chop, chop, like you don't have time to sit around and take naps and relax and all this stuff that like is so important. Um, and not that taking naps is the only way to do it, but self-care, right? Like you have to prioritize. So I was just like, let me write about this because it is so, so important for black women and all women of color to really prioritize their self-care because this work and the energy you're putting into the world, it is draining. And if you don't prioritize your own self-care, like your longevity and your ability to keep doing this work over the long term, it just won't be there. You will burn out. Like regardless if you think you won't or not, it will happen and you will find yourself completely out of commission. So I'm all that to say, I am not that great at it. It's something I'm currently working on, but I, I think it's something that more black women need to be talking about and more women of color need to be talking about that we have to prioritize our own self-care like for survival. 
We do. I've actually heard a few people say, jokingly, not jokingly, is that black can crack if you don't take care of yourself. Listen, it will crack. It can crack crack if you're not taking care of yourself. Oh my gosh, I'm going to quote you. I'm going to quote you in my blog now. (laughs) Say that. Black can crack and it will crack if we don't take care of it. I love that. It's true. It's absolutely true because we are human just like everybody else. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's, it's something that we need to be talking about more. Um, and also talking about the fact that while, and also I think reframing our narratives around the idea that we don't have any grace to mess up or that we have to have everything perfect. Um, we have to reframe some of the narratives around that, I think as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I, I think every black woman has probably felt that pressure, but it's not necessarily a reality all the time in all areas. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Um, So I would love to talk to you a little bit about um, intersectional feminism and diversity in the wellness space. I know it's something we've kind of talked about a little bit. Um, So for you, you just tell the truth so well, which is why I love that you are a self-proclaimed truth teller, because you do it in a way that is very clear and factual, but never in a way that um, is puts anybody down, even if they are, you know, maybe participating in a certain behavior. A great example is a blog post you just had about the language that we use and words that are for us and not for us and and how we manage that. I would love to hear a little bit about your journey as a truth teller and kind of how you came to be in terms of communicating things in the way that you do, being so clear, but also still being so loving at the same time and what that was like for you. Yeah, absolutely. So interestingly, um, when I was growing up, I always thought I was going to be a writer, like as a profession, like I would spend all my free time, like writing novels when I was like in third grade, I was like writing these books um, and reading, like that's all I did was write and read and write. So I always was like, oh, I'm going to be a writer. And then I like went to college and I was like, no one's a writer for a living, which obviously they are, but I don't know. I just like forgot kind of like put that to the side and went to school for like, you know, completely different things. Um, So once I got into like the fitness and wellness space and then started working with clients and training, um, one of the things I like was part of me, I think like stepping into my power was like returning to writing. Um, and then I just was like, what do I want to talk about? Cause I didn't really know. Um, and again, I started like to talk about the things that I'm really passionate about. Um, and so that's how I started talking about like intersectional feminism because it was what was on my mind and what was on my heart. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was like a lot of current events just really for me, like the connection between like racism and fitness and the intersection is so clear to me. Um, but no one was really talking about it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to talk about it. And I think in terms of like, I'm really big on not tone policing, right? So I think there's different ways to approach any conversation. So there are people that are much more direct than me um, Mm -hmm. and that some people may feel like um, they jump into like this defensive mode right away because of the way people say it. But I also think that is like, we don't need to tone police people, especially women of color, right? So like the message can be delivered however feels good for women and that's fine. Um, but in the way of how I approach it um, is that I just like to share information with people. And I always look at it that, and as a reminder for myself, is that a lot of these concepts that I'm talking about are new information for people. Like some people have literally never th- thought about these things. Um, and especially in the blog that I just wrote about language and context, like so many women messaged me to be like, you know what? I never thought about that. Thank you for sharing. And like and that word is gone from my vocabulary. Yes. So I think for me, it's always keeping in perspective that what I think everybody should know is common sense is not common sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I do uh, I do myself, or I shouldn't say do myself. I try to bring things down in terms of like how I'm talking about them, that I'm just educating people and I'm just sharing some new concepts with you, um, and explaining some things to you. And hopefully you understand what I'm saying. And I think that no matter how you say things, there are going to be people who are just like, no, I mean, I, I got also negative feedback from the blog too. And I like a fair amount of people who were like, who are you to tell me what words I can, and people that didn't agree, all those things will happen regardless. Yes. But I, um, I do my best to do it in a way that's approachable and to really just be like, here, I'm going to share some things with you and you can learn from this hopefully. And, and more importantly, like I always hope people, I give people, um, a way to like start dialogue. 
So you start with your talking to other friends about this, like, hey, I just read this article. Like, have you ever thought about this? Or have you ever considered this? Um, so it's a conversation starter because I think the first step to any of those things is like having the conversation. And, and sometimes that means just like, examining your own life Mm -hmm. and how am I doing these things perhaps like um and so I think that's just a really good starting point so that's where I see all of my articles as I think the other thing with writing that sometimes is difficult is that you are writing to such a broad audience so for some people they're like obviously this is elementary Christy we know (laughs) this already and then some people are like oh my god this is mind-blowing I've never heard of this I think there's a delicate balance of trying to present information that is useful and also in a way um, that is accessible for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. I love that you come from a place of, of teaching. And I think that point of presenting facts to people that they probably have never considered before, now that you put it that way, I'm like, I can totally see in your content that place that you're coming from. Yeah, and I think it took me a little bit to get there. And it's also really helpful to talk to people from different perspectives. Um, because, for example, with just the article I wrote, um, like this, all that the article started with a conversation with a person in fitness um, that I was trying to call in about using the word and the conversation didn't go well. (laughs) So um, I was just like, okay, whatever, that sucks. But I was... I was hashing it out with a friend of mine and just like explain the situation and she works in fitness as well, but uh, very much out of the space that we work in. So um, she was like, well, Chrissy, I'm going to be honest with you. The people that I work with, like none of this would even come across their mind as a problem ever. Mm. And I was just like, Oh, okay. So it's really good to talk to other people and realize that like it's, I cultivate my circle with people that are like very much like-minded and to realize that there's a whole other world out there of people who are not. And so to remember that this could be new information for so many people is something that I'm always like trying to remind myself and put at the forefront of my mind. Yeah, absolutely. And for you as a fitness professional, um, I would love to hear your thoughts on also how important it is for fitness and wellness professionals who are doing client-facing work to also be aware of just different circumstances with clients, different cultural norms, and different perspectives of where their clients have been coming from. Um, I would love to hear about your experiences with that or kind of how you feel about that. I think it is so important. Like it's really, because again, if you've worked with clients for a long time, I know in my work with my clients, like the part of fitness, like the actual workouts and like the nutrition talk is a very small part of most of the conversations. It's the mindset, it's the stress levels, it's all the other things that are going on in their lives is what people come to the conversation and tell you about, right? Like very little energy is spent on just talking about the workout. Um, And so that other part of life, the emotional stuff, the mental, the spiritual, all those things are such a big part of wellness that I don't, there's not possible to separate those out. Nope. So I think like if you're a professional helping clients, you have to be, a, you have to consider cultural norms. Mm-hmm. You have to consider like political climate. You, and, and for people who are like, like let's keep politics out of fitness or race out of fitness or like I always remind people like being black and walking around a black body is political. That in itself is political, right? So we can't ignore that under any circumstances. It's just not possible. The intersection of the two has to be a part of your practice. If you really want to serve all of your clients, if you intend to serve clients with different and diverse backgrounds, like you have to understand how the effect of racism in America, especially like with the things that are happening now, what effect that has on health and mental health and all of those things. So it's so important. Um, And Dr. T, a friend of mine, he was recently talking about this and he brought to my attention, which is something I never even thought about, that like when you talk about all of the bodies that certify personal trainers like NASM, et cetera, like none of them have a component about cultural awareness. None of them have a, com- a component about um, talking about um, sexual assault and fit. Like none of those things are included in the curriculum about training. And I was like, wow, Dr. T, you're so right. And that's like a huge issue, right? Because why would we not, that's a part of training. Like you should be trained on those things. Um, And so I think there is definitely like a big gaping hole in the training and curriculum that goes into, um, to the education of most trainers. Um, And so 
he's actually doing a great course on um, social justice right now, which I'm encouraging like everybody to take, yes. especially if people have like never had these conversations, don't know how to have these conversations, are interested in this work. Because I think, again, it's a very nuanced, all of these things are super nuanced. Like they're not easy conversations to have. Um, and I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around all of it. Um, so anyways, his course is going to be phenomenal. So I've been encouraging people to take it um, because he's going to offer a perspective, especially for trainers and coaches in the wellness space of how they can show up for their clients and better serve them. So it's so important. Yes, I love that. And I can definitely include information on that in the in the show notes as well, because the more people who, who see that, the better. Yeah. <laughs> kind of along the same lines, um, in the online wellness space and in kind of the online wellness influencer space, there is also a lot of work to do. Um, and the biggest thing that comes to my mind is kind of the cultural appropriation of a lot of different practices that are now trendy, but that are rooted in very significant cultural practices for a lot of people. What do you yes. think of that? I mean, like the whole yoga industry oh, <laughs> cultural yeah. appropriation, right? <laughs> the, the whole industry, basically. Um, and it's just a conversation that people are not open to. Like, they really, so many people are not in, open to this conversation. So also, like recently, there was a... Um, someone on Instagram who was using a lot of native, not even just the word savage, but just like native imagery in their marketing. And so I sent them a polite DM to like have a conversation about it. I was really like, I'm really nice to people in their DMs. Sure. I'm coming into your space. So let me just, <laughs> hey, let's talk about this. And yeah. let me tell you, like they were not here for it. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing about, I talked to a influencer, a fitness influencer about use of the word savage and like a, a t-shirt line. Not She was not here for the conversation at all. Um, and was really dismissive, which was super disappointing in my opinion, because it's one thing to be like, oh, I didn't know I'm doing this. Let me consider it. It's another thing to be like, no, I, I thought about it. And like, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. Um, and so there's so much cultural appropriation in fitness. And it's, it's interesting because like we don't, nobody owns words. While that's true, like some words are just, they're not for you. Like don't use them. Find something else to say. Find another word to use. Um, and so after I posted that blog, interestingly, Jen Sinclair had posted some information on her Insta story about other words that like are just um, appropriated from people of color all the time. And like, I'm sure you've seen this, like there's where like black people are creative, right? Like we make up words <laughs> all, <laughs> the time. all the time. And they become mainstream slang. And then they become mainstream <laughs> slang. And it's like, can't you make up your own words? Like, because like it's, we have such, and, and I think it's, it's frustrating because when the, the talk about cultural appropriation comes up, it's that black people create all this stuff, right? And then mainstream profits from the stuff that we create in the yeah. ways that we can't even profit from it, mm-hmm. right? That's why it's more frustrating, not just that like you have to steal everything, but the fact that you are able to profit from what we create in the way that we can't even profit from it. Um, and so, yes, I see this all the time in fitness. Um, the online space is like the wild, wild west. <laughs> there's, just, there's just so many problematic things happening all the time. Um, and I think for me, I, you know, you have to pick your battles because you can't address everything that happens. It's just not possible. Um, but I do think it's important to call people in, which is like the process of like informing people, like why something like privately, like why this was a problem. And then sometimes people don't listen and sometimes you got to call people out. Like it's just, um, the reality, but again, like it comes back to as black women, like where's our energy best served? Where do we need to use it? And one thing I realized is like, we can spend so much energy, calling in people, which is important, or calling out people, which is important, but also realizing that that energy now is taken away from something else that we could be doing Mm -hmm. that creates income for ourselves, while that person that we're trying to call in or call out is still doing their thing and making money. So it's like a balance of our responsibility and how are we compensated for our labor, um, which I don't have that balance yet. So I don't have an answer (laughs) to provide for that. Uh, But yeah, it's definitely something that I see and think about every single day. Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's a balance we are all working towards, but I love the distinction between calling people in versus calling them out. Yeah. I love that. Um, I would also love to talk to you a little bit about self-care and what self-care looks like, because it is something that has, over the past couple of years, turned into very much a commodity. Um, the images of self-care look like face masks and expensive 
massages and all of these things that are so external, but very few people talk about self-care in a way that is truly internal. Yes. It's like doing the inner work to, to be who you need to be to show up for yourself. Um, so I would love to hear what self-care looks like for you and um, kind of what your thoughts around kind of internal versus external self-care are. Yes. First of all, I love like every single question. This is just like, oh, this is my jam. I'm just like enjoying this so much. Um, yeah, it's so good. And like what you said about self-care being a commodity, I think that's one of the things about fitness that um, I'm not super fond of is that like the industry will commoditize anything, like anything it will be a commodity. But yeah. And so I think a lot of the ways that self-care is showed in the fitness space or in the industry, wellness industry is like you said, like expensive massages and like, um, just things that are not accessible for a lot of people. And I think one of the things about fitness is that it definitely markets to um, white, wealthy women, right? And so, like, everybody cannot go have 80-minute massage. I love to have an 80-minute massage every week. I cannot go get an 80-minute massage every week. Um, and that is external. But I think there is so much that we can do internal self-care that I actually think is equally important, maybe even more important than external self-care. So for me, what that looks like um, is one thing that I've really started doing recently, which is brand new for me, um, I know, is meditating. I never used to meditate because I was like, I can't focus my mind. Like, I don't understand the point. Um, but my sister, like, put me onto this book and I started reading the book and like there's a whole section at the back about meditating and there was actually like a guided meditation that you could download and so I did it and it has been like such an amazing part of my self-care practice now. I do it like every day in the morning for the first 20 minutes of my day um, and I just feel so great after that. So I think that's one thing. Um, another thing that I've been doing for my or that I recently did for myself is um, just I think it's I personally, I was always so focused on like reading for the purpose of learning something because I need to be a better business owner or a better coach or better whatever that I started reading fiction again recently. Mm -hmm. um, and it has been, yes. reading for pleasure has been so much fun. I mean, I used to all the time when I was younger, I was like, why did I ever stop? <laughs> so it's been really great to read for pleasure. And so that's like something I've been doing, even if it's just like 15 minutes a day, um, because it's just, it's it, it like, for me, it's just my mental energy. And like, I'm not thinking about all the should do's, need to do's, all those things. I'm just like captivated in this book for a while um, and, and really enjoying it. So I have been doing that a lot lately. Um, those are like my two big things. But I think for other people, like taking a 20 minute map and actually I'll say a third thing that has been really good for me is incorporating more walking into my day. Mm, yeah. So um, just like a leisure walk, sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's short, like even on days where I feel like I'm swamped, right? Like the other day, I was like, I'm going to take 15 minutes. I'm going to walk, clear my mind. I can listen to music, listen to podcasts, whatever feels good for me. Mm -hmm. um, and just getting that 15 minutes in is just refreshing for me. So I think all of those things are really good things that we can put into practice. And even like taking five deep breaths and like, okay, I'm just going to take some, cause like, man, I'm telling you, breathing will change things. <laughs> like True. taking some deep breaths will like change things for you. So uh, just doing small things like that. And so I think all of us can think of a couple things that we could do that don't cost money. Right. Cause if that's like a financial strain for you to like, again, go get an 80 minute massage every week um, or go to some spa weekend or take a vacation, which are all things I love and encourage you to do, but we can't always do those things. Yep, exactly. um, there's so many ways I think that in our daily lives, we can do things that don't cost anything that are quick and can don't have to be like super time consuming to renew ourselves um, and really prioritize our self care. Yes. Yeah. I love that so much. Just small actions throughout the day that make you feel good, that don't have to be anything crazy. Yes, exactly. The external, also focused on your appearance. I feel like a lot of self-care language focuses on like how you look. Yes, it does. Also, it's like you can look as great as you want on the outside, but if you have not done any inner work or inner peace on the inside... Doesn't matter, right? Yep, it's not going to get you very far. Yeah, 100% agree. And that's such a good point to bring up. Um, because, yeah, you're right. Like, people talk about, like, go get your haircut or, like, whatever. Cool things. But, like, looking fabulous will not change the inside. Because, I mean, 
I remember, like, again, this goes back to, like, the same desire to, like, chase goals around looking a certain way externally and, like, shrinking your body. Like, I remember being at my leanest and being the most miserable I'd ever been in my life. Um, so, yeah, you're so right. Real. Yeah. So many, and so many people in the fitness space have that story where yes. they were at their leanest, they were shredded and absolutely miserable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hot mess on the inside. Such <laughs> <laughs> a common theme. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what do you think we can all do as people in the wellness space, whether people of color or not, uh, to make wellness feel more inclusive for everybody? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that we can do. I think for one, um, it's really important to uh, like for fitness professionals organizing events or for putting on events to make sure that you are having a background of people that are from all different backgrounds. Um, our friend Allison Tenney, for example, she's yes, doing the fitness. Yeah, she's doing an event in Seattle, um, the Women's Fitness Summit. Yeah. And um, it is one of the most diverse background of speakers I've seen in a long time time. Um, and it's just so beautiful. And she did that very intentionally and well thought out and well planned. Um, so I think that's one thing you can do because when you see that lineup, you'll be like, oh, there's somebody there for me. I can relate to somebody on that panel. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, I was also recently um, at another event for Smart Fake Girls and the same thing. It was just such a beautiful pattern, uh, panel of people. And so I think that's important. Um, I think one of the things that we don't focus um, or that we don't talk enough in fitness about is different body types, but also like a lot of ableism, like people that are in wheelchairs still involved in fitness. And we don't see any representation for that or very seldom do we see representation for that. Yes. So I think really thinking about all the different types of people that, cause fitness is for everyone. I think that's what we have to remember, right? Like it's not about looking a certain way. It's not about your skin color. It's not about the body that you're in. Fitness is for everyone. And so approaching everything that we do from that lens um, and really being intentional about trying to reach people from all different backgrounds, I think is one thing that we can do. Um, I think too, like for me, one of the things that while fat loss, a lot of my clients come to me for fat loss, um, that is not the that's not the focus of most of my discussion or talk um, because I really, really want to stress that fat loss doesn't have to be the only reason that we do fat, that we do fitness. And in fact, I hope it's not the only reason that you do fitness. Right. Um, so I think that talking about being honest with people about these conversations and I think, um, having integrity in our marketing is so important in fitness because you see so much marketing around, like lose your tummy fat and like get whatever. And it's just, I don't know. I just, I feel like it's, it's, it's harmful to people for us to be having those types of discussions um, and marketing materials for fitness. Even if like so many people I know, like that's like the low hanging fruit, so to speak, and they're going to take them in a different direction. I just personally don't like preying on people's emotional or um, preying on people's body image issues in yeah. order to get business. Like I, that feels really gross to me. Um, and I think that so much of fitness preys on people's emotions like, oh, get your um, bikini body or whatever. All these types of phrasing around selling fitness is like not cool to me. <laughs> so I think that's really important. And um, I think it's just important that we are more authentic. And um, it's like, like Instagram is such a highlight reel. Um, and I think that it's really a need. People want to feel like it's a breath of fresh air when so someone is like, no, like it's not all about having matching outfits and like the perfect clothes to work out. And I don't look beautiful when I'm done training. Like I look a hot mess. Like this is not, this is like, this is just the highlight reel, but this is, this is who I really am. Yep. Um, I think we need to do more of that. So I mean, I could go on and on. I think there's so many things, um, but I just think that, and you know, I think there's a lot of women who are, especially like in the space that we're in that are doing such a great job. I, I definitely see a shift in things. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so I appreciate like you having this podcast and like you starting this conversation is so wonderful. And I see so many other people stepping up and doing the same thing. So it like provides a lot of hope. I'm really hopeful about the face of, of fitness changing. I am too. I completely agree with you. And I think that there's also a lot of um, accountability that I'm seeing start in the space of, yes. of people being held accountable, maybe when things aren't 
really hitting the mark or when they haven't considered certain things. And that kind of goes back to the conversation of calling out versus calling in. But for a long time, my frustration was with the followers. It's like, you guys know that this makes you feel like crap. Why do you follow it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Stop looking at it. And I think we're starting to see a shift where people following this content are are kind of living in their own power in terms of what they follow and, and how they hold people accountable, which is refreshing. I totally agree with you. And the accountability piece is so huge. I did an Insta story about it a while back, which I, did, I, yeah, I didn't save it, but that yes, like if you want to be in the online space, if you want to be on social media platforms, accountability will happen. Yes. And um, because someone said, like, it was a person who made a comment. Someone was trying to call, people were calling this person out on their Instagram, like, picture. And they were like, don't, I don't think politics, I don't think this is the right place to talk about this, meaning their platform. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, no, it is the right place because yeah. this is a public forum. And like, if you don't want to be held accountable, like don't push yourself in public spaces yeah. because accountability is happening. It's on the rise and people are keep going to do, and I think it's great. And like, I always tell people too, when you see me mess up, please hold me accountable. Like I would prefer if you call me in, but if you call me out, that's fine too. Like I'll deal with it. It'll be fine. Yeah. Because I think what people forget about this conversation is that we all mess up. Yeah. I literally mess up all the time and I get called in about it all the time. And I'm like, oh, I messed up. I'm going to do better next time. Mm-hmm. If you go into this thinking like I'm never going to mess up or trust me, you're wrong. You're going to get it wrong sometime. We all do. Yeah. That's how we grow and that's how we become better. Yes, exactly. Ugh. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> so I have one last question for you. This one's okay. more personal. Um, yeah. Is what does being a balanced black girl mean to you? Huh. Being a black ba- balanced black girl to me means for one, like unapologetically owning my blackness um, and not trying to shrink that either. Right? Like I'm very proud of being a black woman. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of what that means. I'm proud of like the strength and resilience that comes with that. Um, so I will not shrink that for anybody. Um, and then also I think it means, um, empowering other black women. I really believe empowering all women, but I specifically hope that I'm empowering other black women to be their truer selves, to, um, take up space in the world, to live unapologetically. Um, and then thirdly, the balance part is again, back to what we said before, making sure I'm doing my work to make sure that I'm maintaining my own self care so that I can do this for the long haul. And I think, um, it's important that if we want to be part of this conversation and create change in the world over for like years and years to come, we have to preserve our energy, step back when we need to and re-engage when we feel ready to do that work. Yeah. Oh, you are so right. Cause black can crack. Yeah, it can crack. And we yeah. do not want that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Chrissy. Please tell our audience where they can find you. Cause I know everybody is going to want to, if they're not already following you, I know they're going to want to. So where can people find you? <laughs> yes, absolutely. You can follow me. I'm most active on this Instagram and on Instagram. It's I am Chrissy King. Um, I'm also on Twitter as I am Chrissy King. My website is just Chrissy King.com. That's where you can check out all my blog posts. And then on Facebook is uh, facebook.com backslash Chrissy King fitness. Awesome. And we will have all of that linked in the show notes because I know you all need to go follow Chrissy and keep up with the amazing content that she puts out. So thank you so much for coming on. My gosh, thank you so much. Like, honestly, thank you for this creating this podcast. Thank you for having me on. It's been such a fun conversation talking with you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.